If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. People's trust in news coming from social media has declined substantially in the last year, which means that people are beginning to be aware of the problem that something that just flows by you in social media may not be valid and that maybe you need to turn to a better source. Let me tell you something. If you like to follow the news, this is the time for you. Wow, elections are right around the corner. Every time you fire up your laptop, your phone, your computer, here's the deal. This time, more than ever, you have to be expected for something relatively new. I'm talking about doctored images, swayed reports, fake videos, false accusations, and, well, just some out-and-out lies. And you wouldn't believe how many advanced tech tricks are being used to just deceive you. All right, forget about Photoshop, folks. That's nothing. There are technologies that are far more deceptive all designed to fool your eyes and fool your ears, your brain, your emotions, and your wallet, and maybe even how you might vote. You need to know how to spot this stuff, how to report it, and how to avoid being ripped off by it. I'm Kim Commando, America's Digital Pro, and you're listening to Commando On Demand. It's our podcast that provides in-depth insight on the ever-changing technology landscape and the impact it has on your life. Now, in this podcast, we're going to talk about the latest technologies that people are using that generate fake news. On one hand, it's actually kind of cool because you can make just about anything fake look real. But when that fake video or that fake image is passed off as real, honest-to-goodness news, it's damaging. It could be even deadly. You'll see what I mean after this podcast. This is going to be one of our best podcasts ever. I just know it. Stay right where you are. I'd like you to take a moment to recognize one of our partners who helped make this podcast possible. All right, welcome back. Fake news. I know. All the social media and news platforms are pointing fingers at everybody else and crying, fake news, fake news, fake news. All right. And nobody wants to be called a faker. Mark Zuckerberg certainly doesn't. He actually banned Alex Jones's Infowars on Facebook to get away from that fake news moniker. Then Facebook placed ads in India to warn them about fake news on WhatsApp. And then WhatsApp took action. They came out with a feature that gives posters a way to check their sources before they just open up Pandora's box. And then YouTube came in. They joined the cleanup, spending millions of dollars to reduce the spread of conspiracy theory and more fake news videos. So suddenly there's this hunger for truth and everyone in the media is all around it, right? Well, not right. It's never been right. Not long after photographs were used in the news, Publishers quickly figured out that photos can be used in a way to sway public opinion. And fake news was born, I guess. At one time, you might remember, people mostly relied on radio. And when people heard a broadcast news report, it was generally true. Nobody even thought of creating fake news just to jack around with the public. But in 1938, when Americans heard this on the radio, well, they just freaked out. We 
are bringing you an eyewitness account of what's happening on the Wilmoth Farm, Grover's Mill, New Jersey. Ladies and gentlemen, my aunt. Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, here I am, back of a stone wall that adjoins Mr. Wilmoth's garden. I'll give you every detail as long as I can talk and as long as I can see. That more state police have arrived. They're drawing up a cordon in front of the pit. About 30 of them. Oh, yes, I believe it's Professor Pearson. Yes, it is. Now, now they've parted and the professor moves around one side... Studying the object while the captain and two policemen advance with something in their hands. Wait a minute, something's happening. Hump shape is rising out of the pit. I can make out a small beam of light against a mirror. It strikes him head on. Oh, Lord, they're turning into flames. By the woods, the bars, the, the gas tanks, tanks of the automobiles are spreading everywhere. It's coming this way now, about 20 yards to my right. Ladies and gentlemen, due to circumstances beyond our control, we are unable to continue the broadcast from Grover's Mill. Evidently, there's some difficulty with our field transmission. However, we will return to that point at the earliest opportunity. In the meantime, we have a late bulletin from San Diego, California. Professor Indelkoffer, speaking at a dinner of the California Astronomical Society, expressed the opinion that the explosions on Mars are undoubtedly nothing more than severe volcanic disturbances on the surface of the planet. Could you imagine? Half of the listening audience thought America was really being attacked by aliens. There was panic in the streets. And it wasn't even really fake news as we think about fake news. It was Orson Welles' radio drama, you know it, War of the Worlds. But it was so well done, so well produced, so well acted. People just assumed it was really happening. The same thing is true today. People still trust what they read online. So many people never even bother to check the source. I mean, think about what gets shared on Twitter and Facebook. They see this video, it looks real, and they just assume that it's real. Unfortunately, people are posting fake news just to, I don't know, jack around with the public. Fake news is shared, it instantly goes viral, especially in political circles where it's so heated. People will go to any extreme to see their candidate win. Ironically, the BBC, along with the World Economic Forum, brought in some heavy hitters to a roundtable discussion about fake news. Now, this is really interesting because the BBC has been accused of fake news once or twice before. So you have New York Times managing editor Joseph Kahn. He was there and he answered a question that had been burning in my mind for a while now. And that question is, What's actually causing fake news in politics? I mean, where is it all coming from anyway? I think that the hyper-partisanship in politics, not just in the United States, but around the world, produces the fake news phenomenon as opposed to fake news producing hyper-partisanship. We are in an environment where people lead identity-based political lives, where they are affiliating with certain news and information based on its political value, based on the way political parties are using it. So is the trend of fake news causing a problem in our democracy? All right. That's an interesting question. I know it's really heavy, but here's Joseph's answer. I don't think fake news is the cause of the problem to democracy. I think that the proliferation of fake news is one of the most important symptoms of a decline in sort of shared values and shared sense of truth, quite honestly. The co-founder of Wikipedia, Jimmy Wales, was there too. He talked about how this fake news affects social media and what he's doing to make sure that Wikipedia postings are above board. 
People's trust in news coming from social media has declined substantially in the last year, which means that people are beginning to be aware of the problem that something that just flows by you in social media may not be valid, and then maybe you need to turn to a better source. Uh, the thing about Wikipedia is that we are diligently and passionately committed to getting it right, and so uh, we have very strong standards about reliable sources. Uh, we have a very open policy of correcting any mistakes that come into us. Of course, uh, doing serious research, doing serious journalism. Inherently involves making mistakes from time to time, but the key is you just have to try to get it right, and I think that's fundamental. So there's the political end of fake news, then there's the war end of fake news, and here's a spoiler alert: I'm about to interview the author of a brand new book called "Like War: The Weaponization of Social Media." It was written by P. W. Singer, and I have to tell you, I've been reading the book every night in anticipation of this interview. It sits right on my nightstand. As a matter of fact, my son Ian walked in. He's like, "Mom, are you reading a book? I mean, is that a real book?" And I'm like, "Oh my gosh, Ian, I can't put it down." But anyway, that'll be in a podcast a couple of weeks from now because I want to finish the book before I interview him. But it ties all into this because social media can be used as a powerful weapon to upset the masses. For instance, a master sergeant friend of one of our riders was serving in Iraq. It was a calm day and. She and her troops were enjoying a nice, relaxing day in the sun. Well, the next thing she knows, her mother calls, completely upset, freaked out because get this, the U.S. news said they were under fire, and she was like, "No, mom, we're all just sitting here, like getting our vitamin D and sunbathing." So you can never assume that you're getting the whole story from something that's happening overseas. Another case in point: Hollywood director Richard Shaw, his buddy Dan Gordon. Was at the Gaza fence serving as a reserve duty captain, but he's also an Israeli-American screenwriter. He's a novelist and playwright. Dan and I、uh, have known each other for many years, and he, he's a screenplay writer out here in Hollywood, and also is a captain in the IDF in Israel. Has dual citizenship. So Dan and I get along really great, and he told me he was going to be at the Gaza fence to help Israel. And I said, "Look, you got to tell me what happened when you get home, because I'm just disgusted over the whole mainstream news media's reporting of this because it's it's completely twisted and backwards, and it's like they know what the truth is and don't want to say, or maybe they don't even know what the truth is." And as you know, there's footage of the Gaza fence everywhere online. It's a very violent scene. Here's what he says really happened. I said, "How did Hamas get all these people up against the fence and protesting, demonstrating, and violently?" And he said, "They paid him." And I said, "Well, what were the terms?" He said, "Each family that did it got a hundred dollars." He said, "But if you got shot in the process, they they would pay you two hundred and fifty dollars." So I'm going. Well, that kind of answers a few questions because there's no jobs in Gaza. Well, I guess that's one way to make money and make news, but it's not ethical or particularly healthy either. And since I'm not there, I really don't know what happened. There are so many different videos out there; it's hard to tell the truth from a political spin. So there's another side to fake news. I'm talking about paid actors. You have to be very careful when you accuse people of being crowd actors or crisis actors. A couple of years ago, we were building our new studios here in Phoenix. Well, we were still at the old studios while the new ones were being built. So I'm getting ready to pull into our parking lot. 
And there are people standing with signs in front of the old studios. And they're carrying signs that say, shame on Westar, shame on Kim Commando, shame on Westar. And they have those megaphones and they're shouting it out. So everybody on the street can hear, shame on Westar, shame on Kim Commando. Well, I'm like, what the heck's going on here? And they stood there for six weeks. Well, let me tell you what's really going on. One of the contractors who was working on our building, our new studios, well, he used some electrical contractors who weren't part of the union. So apparently and allegedly, the union hired people just to stand in front of our old studios holding these signs that said, shame on Westar and shame on Kim Commando to kind of somehow convince the contractor to use union workers. So I went out there and I offered them some water because it's Phoenix and they were hot. So I handed out the water and I said, hey, so what do you guys do? And they said, well, not really anything. We're just making like 10 bucks an hour saying, shame on you. I'm like, okay, great. Have a nice day. But it's not just that. I remember when grieving, horrified parents at one school shooting were being grilled because people actually thought that they were crisis actors. Well, it turns out a careless poster shared photos of them that were taken completely out of context. I mean, seriously, it's bad enough that parents have to deal with the unimaginable grief of losing a child, much less have to deal with accusations of being called crisis actors. We really won't ever know if there were crisis actors in a crowd like that. It really doesn't matter when lives have been lost. But seriously, it's just best to leave it alone. Real or not, one thing's for sure. There's no end to the deception. When one trick becomes old hat, another one will be there to take its place. Up next, we're going to speak with an award-winning screenwriter on how realistic special effects have truly become. But first, a quick thank you to one of our partners who make this podcast possible. All right, real or not, one thing's for sure. There's no end to deception. When one trick becomes old hat, another one will just step in and take its place. And that leads us into the next level of fake news. Technology that tricks our eyes. So I'm speaking with filmmaker, editor, photographer, screenplay, and indie film writer, Charles Dudka. Charles owns Quick Fuse Films. That's Fuse with a Z and Huckleberry Comics. You can Google him if you want. It is award-winning screenplays have appeared in film festivals around the country. He's been under contract with Sony Studios. Pretty good gig, but not just Sony. We're talking about PlayStation, PS Extreme, Starfire Video, and so many more. So Charles... Hey, I'm so glad that you made time for us, and welcome to Commando On Demand. Thank you, Kim. Now, do you remember the old days of the green screen? This was before your time, and I guess mine too, actually. But you would see these guys hanging off buildings or cliffs, but it's got a different name, and it's way more realistic now. Yeah, so it's actually called chroma key. In the old days, it used to be green screen because it was green. Nowadays, it's actually more often blue. Okay, take a moment and just explain to us how it all works. Basically, if you just have a solid color, solid background, you can tell a computer to replace that color of the background with pretty much anything you want. Does the screen have to be a specific color? I mean, does it have to be green or blue? It's better to do it with green or blue because cameras and computers and software can see it better. Yeah, I get that, but it's way more advanced. 
it's hugely advanced compared to what was actually chroma key. Now, sometimes it just doesn't work. Sometimes I can totally tell that the actors aren't really there. The difficulty you get with chroma key is that you have actors interacting with essentially nothing. And I think that they do better when they can actually interact with the physical environment. It doesn't have to be 100% practical, but I think if it was like 50% practical, 50% promo, that'd be great. We do have a full television studio here at West Star Multimedia, but you got to really know what you're doing to do green screen and chroma key right. The only thing that you have to keep in mind is what the person's wearing. So if you have a green background and they're wearing a green shirt, then whatever's on the background will look like they're basically a floating head. So do you think people would actually believe a green-screened news story? I think that it could be done, and I think the general population would be fooled, but it wouldn't be hard to prove that it was fake. All right, you've been doing this for a long time. What are some of your favorite film tricks that you'd like to share with our audience? There's so many of them, it's, it's incredible. And I'm always really impressed with pretty much all of them. There's one that's kind of cool. If you set the white balance of the camera to notify the white as like a manila envelope, you can make everything look like night, even though it's the middle of the day, which is kind of cool. All right, what other tech tricks do you like? Tell me about some fun ones. I've always found it interesting how they can just take a deceased actor and bring them back to life and put them on either a commercial or a movie. That's just crazy to me. If you had a guess, Charles... Just come up with a number. How many technology-related tricks of eye would you say are available at this moment? The number of tricks are probably in the tens of thousands. Oh, my gosh. And gaming animation is using so many of them. How did the animators get the characters to look so human? I mean, sometimes my son is playing video games and I come in, I'm like, oh, my gosh, and that looks like a photograph. If an actor is playing a role for a game... They're using face tracking software, and then they replicate it through CGI. Well, the bar has been raised again, this time by a software called Deep Fakes. Can you just take a moment and explain how it all works? So Deep Fake software basically is using a computer algorithm which tracks the person's face and then puts kind of like a CGI mask over that person's face. That's why it looks so real, because it's matching what their facial muscles are doing and creating a CGI replica of someone else's face and sort of covering it. It's essentially face tracking software and CGI software. So is this something that you would actually use in a film? It's not done a huge amount in film. It's not done as much as people think it's done. In terms of where technology is leading, where it's going, what illusions can you create? You could make anything look like anything. I mean, think about it. You have helicopters flying through buildings, Spider-Man swinging through the streets. Really, if you had enough time and money, you could make anything look real. Okay, Charles, I've read your background. I know you're not a photo forensic guy, but what do you personally look for when you want to tell if a photo is real or fake? I mean, are there any clear-cut signs? The things I look for personally are lighting angle, shadow, and continuity, and reflection. Okay, let's follow that trail. Explain exactly how we would scrutinize a film that we think might be fake. You want to look at where the light source is and where the shadow is being cast. And those things need to match. If they don't match, you have a problem. Um, reflections are hugely telling and continuity is another thing. But where the shadows at a wrong angle, where the shadows wait the light source is really, really harsh on their face, even though the lamp's across the room. Things like that are, are key indicators that something's off. And you want to look around the hair, too, because that's the hardest part when you're trying to either put someone in another photo or age a photo. The hair is always a problem because you have all those tiny little pieces of space in there, and it's hard to make that look right. 
What about, for example, shots of crowds or maybe a political march, stuff like that? Sometimes I look at the videos and I think, is that really real or fake? You know, just based on the angle you're shooting at, even without post-processing, you can take a photo of a crowd and make it look like there's three people. If there's 300, you could also take a photo of a 300-person crowd and make it look like there's five people there. And as a photographer, I know how easy that is to do, and it happens all the time. I thought so. It's so hard what to believe anymore. I basically only pay attention to uh, stock market news at this point. Well, hate to have a shameless plug here, Charles, but... uh... Just go ahead and check out my online investment podcasts and articles. I bet you're going to learn a few things. But getting back to deep fakes, do you think people would try to pass off those videos and images for real news? I don't really think you're going to see deep fakes and CGI and real advanced photo editing coming into creating fake news stories, though, because not only would it cost hundreds of millions of dollars and take months and months to produce, it could almost always be proven that it was fake. And it's just way too huge of a gamble. Yeah, you're saying that you have to spend hundreds of millions of dollars, wow, uh, to do it right? Oh my God, yeah. It, it, cost, it costs a fortune. I mean, an average Hollywood action movie costs, I don't know, $450 million. Oh my gosh, and not to mention the time is all going to take. Time's probably the biggest factor. In indie film, it takes about eight hours to create one minute of final product. In Hollywood, you're looking at 48 hours. And that's sometimes fast. It can be a week to create a minute of film time. That's right. Most video editors work brutal hours. But you have to really love your work. I totally see that, Charles, that your indie film company is really taking off. Yeah, we started two years ago. We have like over 6,000 followers, something, actually a year and a half. It's been growing really fast, so that's great. We won't tell anyone, Charles. Okay, just pretend it's just us talking. Uh, is there anything in the pipeline that we should know about? I'm working on a few indie films right now. Um, one of them is ghostwritten, so I can't really talk about it. And the other one is called Spin, and that'll be by Brian Austin. Charles, you're such a great interview. I so appreciate you joining us. Yeah, of course. Thank you, Kim. So even with all the money and time it actually takes to make deep fake content, people are doing it anyway. People are all excited about it because they think it's this brand new technology. But I've got the inside scoop on this. It's not. In the year 2000, a little fun fact for you, Stephen Livingston, a professor of political communication at George Washington University, turned the tech world upside down while demonstrating the geopolitical pros and cons of satellite imagery and the latest technology available. He chose as his subject figure skater Katarina Witt, recorded during a 1998 skating competition. All right, in the video, Katarina is skating. And then she completely disappears without a trace. The background remained the same. The camera movements remained the same. But Katerina Witt disappeared along with her shadow and the pieces of ice that were totally flying off her skates. The technology that was used to virtually delete the skater could also be applied in real time, live, even during a broadcast. Back then, Stephen Livingston had a pretty fancy name for it, pixel plasticity. We don't call it that anymore, probably because most people couldn't pronounce it. We call it something like deep fakes today, but the military had been using it long before it was called deep fakes. So if it really existed by another name, say 10 or 20 years ago, you can imagine what's being tested in the tech underground today, stuff that we don't even know about. So we need to take this technology very, very seriously. 
never underestimate its power to deceive, especially if and when it winds up in the wrong hands. But of all the fake news floating around, I think the worst is an out-and-out lie, a story that is 100% false, one that robs generous people of their money. That's fraud. That's deception. That's bad juju, no matter how you look at it. I'm sure you've seen the money-raising campaigns on GoFundMe for sick kids and pets and veterans, disaster situations, and, well, poor families. I hate to break it to you, but some of them are fake. But there's hope. One online activist has made it her mission to bust down the doors of fake fundraisers. Her name is Adrian Gonzalez. We'll speak with her next. But first, a quick word from one of our sponsors. All right, you're back. We've all seen the money-raising campaigns on GoFundMe for the sick kids, the veterans, disasters, pets, and families. And some of them are fake. I'd like you to meet Adrienne Gonzalez. Her website has a funny name. It's GoFraudMe instead of GoFundMe. Hey, Adrienne, thanks for being on the podcast. No problem. Happy to talk to you guys. So, Adrian, I imagine you just didn't wake up one morning and say, hey, I think I'd like to start GoFraudMe. What was behind it? Well, it was actually a fake fundraiser that got me started. I don't know if you remember the story of Bart the Zombie Cat from several years ago. The person had put up a campaign raising money for these cats' medical bills, but the medical bills were being paid for by the Humane Society. So the campaign was obviously fraudulent. GoFundMe did not take it down, and so that got me thinking how many other cases like this are out there. And when I started looking, it was really shocking. And given that this was three years ago, it's really exploded since. All right, that's totally illegal. What's the punishment for something like that? So, you know, when I first started, there were very few, if any, cases of police pursuing uh, charges against people who've put up fraudulent GoFundMes. Since then, though, there have been several people who've been arrested, um, who've paid fines, things like that. So, you know, there aren't specific laws that surround GoFundMe, and I think that was part of the problem in the beginning, is that the law hadn't quite caught up to the technology. But there are still existing laws that cover theft by deception, wire fraud, communication fraud, you know, so those things are still covered and they are definitely being prosecuted. So is it illegal? In some cases, yes. Mm -hmm. GoFundMe really doesn't validate the campaigns. They let anybody post pretty much whatever they want to. GoFundMe says this themselves in their terms and conditions is that they don't vet campaigns. So anyone can put up a campaign for any reason. They can say they're whoever. GoFundMe claims that they have these proprietary tools and, you know, they're checking for fraud 24 hours a day. But really, what they're counting on is for people to report these campaigns. Now, they've gotten a lot better since my beef with them back in 2015. They're a lot quicker about responding to reports. And as they're platform has exploded, they need sort of the, the community to raise these red flags because it's just it's, a new campaign goes up every 18 seconds. There's no way for them to keep up with it. Is it different for state of emergency or global disasters? When you deal with more high profile cases, one example is the bus incident in Canada recently where the hockey players and all that, they are more likely to vet the campaign organizers. But if there's no eyes on something, they're not watching it very closely. 
I'd like to believe in my Pollyanna state that the photos of disfigured people on the sites are real. I can't imagine any person with a conscience using false disfigurement as a way to make money. So are some of those pictures fake? Well, I know for a fact some of them are because I busted them. Well, I think by now most of us can tell if a photo has been doctored up. Some of them are pretty obvious. But what if you're not sure? Or worse yet, what if you think you recognize the person in the photo and their photo is being used without their consent? If you think that a, a photo looks, you know, a little too gruesome or it looks too familiar or whatever it is, you can run that through Google reverse image search. So if you go to images.google.com, all you have to do is plug the photo in there and do a search and it will tell you if that photo is found on other websites. So that's a really good tool for you to figure out if a picture on a campaign has been stolen from elsewhere, which is unfortunately a pretty common tactic. So Adrian, you've seen a lot of this. What is the worst scam you've seen? The worst kind of scam? The absolute worst kind of scam over the years, there's been several people who faked cancer. Some of them have raised tens of thousands of dollars. And these are the most difficult because the first people to donate to their campaigns were their friends and family. You know, these are people who told their children they were dying of cancer, who told their husband they were dying of cancer. So those are almost impossible to spot. How can our podcast listeners find you? So I'm available pretty much 24-7. I've got a tip line. I'm a professional writer, so my hours are completely insane all the time. The phone number is on the website, so people can call. If somebody, you know, thinks something is a scam, but they're not quite sure, they're more than welcome to call me. I have assisted law enforcement trying to prosecute some of these cases, or if it's just getting the ball rolling with, you know, reporting it to the right authorities. And there's also a contact form at the very top of the website that you can fill out. If you do think a campaign is fraudulent, you can send me over that information and I'll take a look at it. I've seen on your website that you actually have a term for yourself. Like, I call myself the digital goddess, right? You're the benevolent overlord. That's pretty cool. (laughs) Right, yeah, I thought publisher was a little boring. I totally get it, right? I mean, but it's technically a service you provide, right? It's a pretty passionate thing that people are taking advantage of generous people. And so, yeah, I guess it's a service in a way. I'm happy to provide. Hey, it's good to know you're out there if we need you. Thanks so much for your time today and for being part of the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for sharing the word. So how do you spot a fake? Human verification is still best. Developers are working on this algorithmic verification now, and one day we'll have a VeriSign type of platform to detect fake media. But if you're not sure, head for the human source. New technology will always give unethical people a way to deceive, because the truth just isn't enough for them. They can't benefit from the truth, so they extract some profit or sick happiness from spreading lies. So as you're out there on the web and social media, if you see something that Well, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't look right. Before you start spreading it, before you get all upset about it, before you contact all your family members and friends and hit that big old share button and comment button, take a deep breath and say, hey, I wonder if it's really real. Do a quick Google search on the headline, and I bet you'll find out pretty darn quickly. I'm Kim Commando. You can join me for my national radio show every week on over 400 top stations from coast to coast and around the globe on Armed Forces Radio. And don't forget, whatever player that you use to get my podcast, be sure that you subscribe. This way, every podcast is delivered to you automatically. 